fakes the handoff. He drives the lane. He takes it to the house. Bouncing off defenders. He just laid it in. He just put it up and in. 56 seconds to play. Oh, by the way. It's time. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Game 7 is over. It's an instant classic. It's the T.C. Martin Show. A three for the game. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. you got to pinch me. The doctor is now in. Happy Monday to you. Oh, yes, a busy, riveting, exciting sports weekend, whether it was here in Vegas or abroad. And we got it all covered for you today on this Monday. T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank with you right here. Numb check on the other side of the crystal clean glass. So crystal clear, I can just reach through it almost. Very nice. All right, B.J. Armstrong is going to join us today. The three-time champ as we talk NBA Finals. As predicted, Milwaukee Bucks going to show up in Game 3. They're going to win by plenty. They did by 20 last night. What's going to happen in Game 4? We've got a few days to think about that because Game number 4 isn't until Wednesday. So B.J. Armstrong will join us. We'll talk to him about that. Paul Buckpower Stewart, our good friend from England. That's right. It's about uh, 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock across the pond right now. So Paul Stewart staying up late just so he can join us. So we could talk about the bloody day after England loses Euro 2020 to Italia. Is that really staying up that late? I think for him it is because I think he works early in the day. Because he's always saying that he has to you know, get his sleep and he, he has to stay up late to watch these games. And well, I see so, watching the games if yeah. they're at like 2 o'clock in the morning or something. Yeah. But it's, I mean, like when we have around at 11, that's when we're watching the local news. That's true. But as you know, I mean, I'm sure it's that way over there too. Everyone has different schedules. And if you work early in the morning, you get to bed. Or if you work, you know, graveyard. Well, I get or, that. That's, that's how I just said yeah. it. Is it really late? For, I don't know what late for him is, you know. Well, you can ask him. Yeah. yeah. But if you're nocturnal like yourself. Then you know you're you're good twenty four seven. Well, I was watching Wimbledon mm-hmm. obviously this weekend, the mm-hmm. women's and the gentlemen's final. I was watching uh, Australian Rules football, and you're watching live, so you're getting up at eight o'clock in the morning, seven o'clock, and all that. Sorry. So when do you w- sleep? Well, you w- don't w- sleep, do you? W- Wimbledon starts at six, my friend, and and, yes. and, the, and the and the football, the Australian Rules football starts at about two a.m. So they were showing back to back games in that. So mm-hmm. yeah, so there was also a tournament going on in Hamburg uh, before the Wimbledon started. So yes, yeah, so there was a lot of tennis. And, Same and time other frame going there, on. In England and in Germany. So there you go. All right, so look forward to talking to him. Heidi Fang will join us. We'll get Heidi on and we'll talk UFC 264, what we, which we got a chance uh, to witness on Saturday night as well, too. But uh, just so much to talk about. Uh, NBA Finals, Team USA loses to Nigeria. I think we talked about that on Friday as well, too. Like, uh, be careful here. And sure enough, Nigeria showed up and not only... Uh, uh, performed well, but they beat the United States. Granted, it was an exhibition game, but should you be worried? Of course you should be worried. And how about if you are USA Basketball? You invite Nigeria to come to Las Vegas. You put them up at uh, you know, a you know, beautiful resort hotel. They, they get to play at the Mandalay Bay, the Michelob Ultra Arena. You feed them nice. And uh, what happens? Oh, they come in and they, uh, they, they dish it out to you. Yeah. After... The last two times United States played Nigeria, they won by a combined 127 points. 
beat him by 83 points, which was a record back in 2012. And then they beat him by 44 points in 2016. Now, 2021, Nigeria beats Team USA with Kevin Durant. So no excuses to be made here. The USA didn't have their best players. Yeah, they're missing, what, two players, three players that are playing the NBA Finals, Chris Middleton and Devin Booker. Yeah, be concerned because they play Australia tonight. And Australia's better than Nigeria. And I'm not saying that USA's going to lose or whatever, but again, this is a concern. Yes, it's a wake-up call. And this has been the right on the the wall for some time now that all these other countries are getting better. You know, you're going to get their best effort. It's not that important to these United States basketball players, especially the NBA superstars. It's not important to them, but it certainly is important to these other countries. And, uh... The Nigerians who had eight NBA players, head coach Mike Brown, who knows a thing or two about coaching here in the NBA, the assistant head coach to Steve Kerr at the Warriors, used to be the head coach with the Cleveland Cavaliers. So, yeah, good for Mike Brown. And we're going to talk more about this tomorrow on on Terrible Tuesday, but just since I'm on my little rant here, it is making me, I hate to say this, don't say anti-American, but it is making me root against our team and I can say our team because it's team USA it's making me root against the Americans because we're not putting forth our best effort again with our best players and we have this attitude like well we really don't need to go and I'm finding myself I think like a lot of people rooting against team USA because I want to say hey Take this. This is what you deserve. If you're not going to put your best athletes and your best players on the floor, you deserve to lose. Well, I'm not going to go so far as to say that I'm rooting against them, but I will be watching with a bit more interest now. I'll be curious to see how they play Australia because, like you said, they lost to Nigeria, and it's not like Nigeria is like, well, we knew that they were going to be playing for the gold medal game. You know, uh, Nigeria is probably feeling a little bit happy that they're even in the tournament because they weren't a shoo-in to be there. Although they do have some NBA players, they're not the superstar players. They're the the end-of-the-bench type players for the most part. But, yeah, I mean, there's definitely concern out there. I'm also curious to see what it's going to be like because not only did they lose to Nigeria, but they lose to Nigeria on a home court where the crowd was behind them. In Japan, there's going to be no crowd at all. They're not going to have anybody cheering USA or even booing them, how some players can take that as a cheer or something like that. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, would they be better off saying no fans for the rest of these exhibition games either to get used to what it's going to be like in Japan? It's going to be a strange situation. Maybe it is a wake-up call. Maybe when all is said and done, we're going to go, remember that game against Nigeria and how that lit the fire and gave them that kick in the butt and then they spearheaded themselves and they went on to play USA championship gold medal winning basketball we could be saying that at the end of the olympics or we could be saying yep we told you the precursor right before everything started but i am curious to see how it goes and i'm also really curious to see curious to see what it's going to be like because again remember the olympics now no spectators in any sporting event yeah yeah and again it's going to be that way for everybody and again it's not like they're playing in front of raucous crowds. I mean, the people that are going to these exhibition games here—they're—they're they're not, you know—they're—they're they're casual fans, and they're there to, you know, seek autographs and you know get to see Team USA. And but this you know, and that. they're chanting USA but, and waving their flags yeah, and stuff like that. I didn't—I didn't see much of that, you know, at all. But again, that's really near either here or there. The—the the thing is that again, 
It's it's not a surprise. That's why I said it on Friday. Do you know they were plus twenty eight and a half at the sports book, minus ten thousand. You want to lay ten thousand to win a hundred dollars, you lose. Plus twenty eight and a half. You were never in jeopardy. You were never in doubt in in this game. Could you take but, Nigeria on a money line? Was there a money line? Yeah, that? that's what I said. Minus ten thousand for USA and plus twenty five hundred for Nigeria. But that's an awful low plus when it's minus ten. But that's what the books do. You know, the the no, I understand the favorite, that they, the I understand that. But it's yeah. like, but wow, yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a quarter of what the minus yeah. is. Well, it's just like with Major League Baseball nowadays. You know, go back to when the Minnesota Twins, uh, you know, uh, beat the Atlanta Braves, and they were like, you know, two hundred to one. Yeah, one was like three hundred, the other one was two hundred. Yeah, remember board. that? And they said that's the last time that will ever there happen. You go. They'll never let the ads right. get like that. Right. So if you want the Arizona Diamondbacks right now, well, it's different because the season's. You know, it's in the middle of the season. They're horrendous. They're not going to win. But they have crazy odds like that. But, you know, at the beginning of a Major League Baseball season or NFL season or NBA season, the worst odds you might see is like 80 to 1, 60 to 1. But, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely a concern. It, it's, it's definitely a concern because you're not sending your best players. So I think that is the message. And would, would this be a major concern if you had Steph Curry, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard? Yeah, that, th- then. But it would never happen. There, there's, there would never be a doubt. You're not going to lose those games. Team USA is 54 and two in exhibition games before this. 54 and two. So you should still expect to win, expect to dominate, and they didn't. And again, for me, not not a major surprise. Like we've talked about time and time again, the rest of the world is getting better, and they have been better for for quite some time. And this is their this is their Super Bowl. Well, and the other thing too is not only is the rest of the world getting better, but some players from the rest of the world they're more in tune to the to the Olympic rules with the wider lane and different things like that because it is a little bit of a different game, and that's how sometimes the USA can be exploited by a couple of these teams because a lot of these guys grew up playing that type of rule there. You know, I mean, again, uh, the NFL is far superior to the CFL. But if they played Canadian rules football in a game, the NFL players might be like, wait, what the hell is going on here? And they're not that drastic, but there is a little bit of different rules, too. So, yeah, again, I don't think it's panic time or anything, but it's definitely a concern. Yeah, definitely. All right. So uh, busy, busy weekend. And uh, we talk about what happened there with Team USA in Nigeria. But let's talk about 264, UFC 264 at T-Mobile Arena. We saw... Dustin Poirier, victorious over Conor McGregor. Uh, the hype was there. Uh, the delivery was there, definitely by Poirier, who delivered a, a victory. And people are calling it a knockout. They're calling it a TKO. It's not that. It's a doctor stoppage at the end of one. But did Dustin Poirier win the fight? No question he won the fight. He won it in convincing fashion with five minutes of domination over Conor McGregor. Uh, and it... it at the end of round one, McGregor goes down. We saw the ankle break, fracture, leg, ugly, whether it was the kicks to the shin or, or whatever it was. But, you know, McGregor can cry all he wants, and we see his, uh, you know, theatrics and his antics once again. And uh, it's just amazing how we continue to see him making excuses. Bottom line is he lost, he got dominated. And we talked about it leading up to the show last week, especially on Friday. This would not surprise us at all. And sure enough, it happened. Dustin Poirier, a minus-130 favorite winner. 
Yeah, to, to be honest, I was actually surprised that it was a lo- that low of an odds because I thought Poirier was going to win. And again, we don't know for sure what would have happened in the second and third rounds if it would have continued, but it looked to me like Poirier was in, he was in command of the fight. I know when we were watching a lot of people early on when Connor got that choke and some people thought he was going to end it, I didn't think there was any way that he was ending it that early on a choke. Now again, if it was me, yeah, he would have ended it. Because I would have tapped or going to sleep or something because I don't know how to get out of that stuff because my instinct would be to fight. But Poirier's been in a thousand fights. He knows this stuff. They work it in the gym. You have to relax and stay calm. And once he got out of that, he actually then had top position. And from that point on, he did dominate. It was a nice move, but also in a way a risky move too because if you don't finish, then you are in the bottom position there. But that to me was the highlight of Connor's best chance in the fight. And it was so early on that I never thought he was going to finish it there. Mm -hmm. From that point on, I thought Poirier kind of dominated the fight. I thought he was in control of it. Yeah, it's a shame that it ended the way it did, but uh, Dustin Poirier is and was the better fighter, and uh, now we'll see if he can get the belt back. All right, our good friend Heidi Fang, who covered it, was there for the Las Vegas Review-Journal. We got a chance to talk to Heidi on Friday while she was uh, sweating bullets uh, outside of the 117 degrees at T-Mobile Arena. Heidi, what's going on? We're good, we're good, we're good. All right, so first of all, Heidi, talk about the atmosphere. Uh, 264, sellout crowd, fans were back there. Did Was it uh, you know, reminiscent of what we saw a couple years ago there at T-Mobile? A little bit, but not as much as it would have been if the travel ban through Europe had been lifted and there were, like, fans from Ireland there because those guys are nuts. Like, they'll do anything to support Conor McGregor in in a fight, during a fight, after a fight, and uh, a lot of those guys weren't able to come overseas, so I I feel like it was missing that element, but it was as close as it gets to back to normal, full house kind of fight. I mean, 20,000 fans, uh, it was just a rocking house. You saw all the celebrities out there, so it was one of those things where you have that big fight feel, and I haven't really felt that in a while in in, in Las Vegas, and here we are, fight capital, something you want to feel, right? And I think this had those elements. All right, so talk about what your eyes saw in those five minutes of that round number one with uh, Poirier and McGregor. And Poirier looked good. I, I was listening to you guys talk about it here before I came on, and I just felt like you were right on, TC, that he was really in his game, uh, despite the guillotine attempts and all of that, when he had Connor in compromising positions, because there's a rule in MMA Submission before position is something you don't do, and that's what you saw happen with McGregor. He went for the submission. He ended up putting himself in a compromising spot, and Dustin Poirier was able to take control of the fight from there for that round. And when when I watch back today, there's a coach in Las Vegas, and i got to pay him his dues here when I speak about this. Eric Nisik is the head coach at uh, Extreme Couture MMA. He put on Twitter today a video that his mom found, that broke down what happened when Connor's ankle broke. And you can see it happen on a check kick, like Dustin said. He Connor kicks, Dustin checks it, gets his elbow in there. So the kick doesn't connect with anything but his elbow. And once it does, you see Connor kind of start to favor that leg. And he continues to fight, but the next thing you know, as soon as uh, Dustin gets him, he falls back on it, and you can just see it crumble. So uh, props to Eric Nistic's mom, I guess you could say, <laughs> of finding that clip and slowing it down and putting it up on Twitter. But if anybody wants to see it and 
it could have happened because Dustin did say that in his post fight that you could see it happen. And then you do see the, the beginning grimace and the favoring of that ankle on um, that moment in the fight, right? About maybe seven seconds left in the round. So it's pretty crazy how that happened and went down. Yeah, it was funny too because, well, not funny, but it was kind of strange because when McGregor went back and that ankle snapped like that, and if he didn't catch it right away, when he kind of fell back, Poirier. He, he kind of hesitated for a second because he wasn't sure what was going on. Then he went and he jumped on him and tacked him because the round wasn't over yet. And then, of course, uh, now McGregor's camp is saying that he kind of injured himself going into the fight, that it was hurt a little bit before then. They did some kind of MRI or something, and maybe that even damaged it more, which I don't understand how checking it out damages it more. But <clears throat> the bottom line was I thought Poirier was winning the fight at that point. And I know McGregor's still talking a lot of stuff because that's what he's going to do. But uh, it, 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 to me, it almost seems like uh, all it kind of did was save McGregor getting a little bit more of a beating because I thought Poirier was in charge and uh, I thought he was going to come out even stronger in the second round. Now, we don't know that for sure, but I just think Dustin Poirier right now is a better fighter than Conor McGregor. Yeah, and Dana put it into perspective in the post-fight press conference, and it's something I touched on before um, in my, when I came on last time with you guys, was that Poirier has done what he needs to evolve in the game, and he's put himself up against killers every day at American Top Team in Florida, guys who are fighting at the top level, and women too, Amanda Nunes, uh, the double champ, she trains at the uh, AT&T camp as well. So when you're going up against savages, every day in that kind of environment, you're pushing yourself, you're raising your bar. And I think that when Poirier lost back in 2014 uh, to Connor, you know, he really realized what he needed to do. And it was to focus in and to do this and to push himself if he wanted to be at the top of his game. And credit to him for acknowledging what his shortcomings were and figuring him out and getting himself into a position to train with people who can help him there. And, you know, Connor has had the same people around him, the same training partners around him. Granted, he's probably brought in uh, a couple different people here or there, I'm sure, because every fight camp fighters do do that. But um, I thought the move to L.A. would help him, and maybe he would surround himself with other people in camp that could help him as well. But he hasn't switched up the coaches or the minds, you know, the there's a lot of people around him, I feel like, that maybe are yes-men that are telling him, that's great, you're doing well, where, you know, maybe he needs to change something and reevaluate something in his fight camp to get back to that upper echelon where he was because he was an elite fighter, and I'm not going to say he's a has-been by any means. He's had his share of um, good fights, and he's still very marketable, and he's brilliant, by the way, because sat there injured in the octagon canvas and make a, a promo, basically, promoting and getting himself into talks for a fourth fight was brilliant. Whether or not it was crass and people saw it as being a low life, or if it was just him being smart enough to recognize, if I don't do something now to promote a fourth fight, I'm not going to get back into this, you, you know, big card with the UC. So I think Connor was really smart to sit there and throw, you know, more verbal harassment at Poirier and his wife while he's on the ground, if that was his intention at all, because um, it definitely sets up the fourth fight. And now you have Dana saying, yeah, we need a fourth fight. This isn't settled. So whether or not he was doing it just out of sheer anger and frustration or if he was doing it out of the back of his mind to say, I need to say something now to set up a fourth fight, it is 
All right, Heidi Fang joins us from the Las Vegas Review Journal, who covers the MMA and a plethora of other things as well, too. Okay, I'm going to say this, Heidi. Both of these guys are 32 years old, and coming into the fight, I was saying this, and it just lock, stock, and barrel showed me afterwards as well, too. One guy is is on his way out, and one guy is getting better and better with every fight. And Poyu just looked like the better fighter, the more polished fighter, the more confident fighter. And what McGregor was doing, you call it brilliance. I call it survival. I call it being desperate because his act is wearing thin, which we talked about last week. And for Dana White to say that nothing settled and to agree with McGregor there was a fourth fight, that's garbage. There is no need for a fourth fight because – they. Poyer would have dominated round two, would have dominated round three. Yeah, money. Okay, money. But I'm telling you, people are not that stupid. They're not going to want to see this guy over and over again. This is three out of the last four fights he's lost. He's non-competitive. And you're right. The only way that he gets in the ring and looks good is against a lesser-known opponent. And if people want to pay for that, God bless him. But anybody who knows UFC knows that he gets in against a Poya again. He's not going to win. He gets in against a Khabib again, which will probably never happen. But any of the upper echelon guys, he's not winning. He hasn't looked good. And I, I'm, I won't say has been, but what I'm saying is against upper-level competition, forget about it. It's no different than all these other aging fighters that we've seen. He is done against the upper echelon, and he's desperate, and he has to do this to try to save face. But what he's doing is making himself even look bad and, make, and making himself look worse with these comments to, you know, about Poirier and his wife and everybody else. Yeah, first of all, the use of the word plethora is amazing. I like that you worked that in. Secondly, <laughs> Unfortunately, I use it too much, though. <laughs> I, I, it's good. It's good. I don't think that you can describe me as any other way except maybe a utility player. But, uh, but you know, when um, you have Connor, like you said, sitting there and throwing um, all this stuff at Jolie Poirier, which, you know, she's a, a head of uh, Dustin's charities and all of that. So a lot of people have been saying, oh, she was in Connor's DMs or, you know, she was trying to make, uh, you know, something happen with, with Connor there on Instagram. No, I think she was really going after some money that Connor had promised the charity and she was trying to talk to him with, you know, what uh, available means are there to be able to communicate with somebody that isn't answering phone calls. So. <laughs> And Heidi, let's go ahead and play. Let's go ahead and play this back uh, for people that didn't see it. Here it is. There's Conor McGregor on the mat. Joe Rogan is interviewing him, and I think it's the first, I guess, uh, post-fight interview we've uh, seen conducted on a mat. Which I told you was going to happen yeah. after the fight. Yeah, it did. It was, yeah, uh, pathetic. But go ahead. Who's boxing the blading head off him, kicking the blading leg off him? You will show you do it to close the distance. This is not over. If we have to take this outside with him, it's all outside. We don't give a. There was no check. There was not one of them I checked. Your wife is in me DMs. Hey, baby. Hit me back on my chance later on. We'll be at the after party to win no club, baby. You looking bitch, you little him. Just the thing had separated and we bleed and landed on the wonky leg like Anderson Silver that time. Something similar to that. It's a mad out business. Heidi Fang, subtitles, please. Yeah, he's saying this isn't over. He was talking about Jolie coming up. That she was looking really nice, but that he was still going to get it against Dustin. 
and he was coming back for vengeance, and they all better be ready. And what kills me about it is in every loss that we've ever seen from Conor McGregor is he's been gracious in defeat. That he's gone up and he's manned up when it was time to suck it up and say, hey, he was a better man. He's always done it. And you would go and look back at everything that was in the lead-up to the fight and say it was promotion for the fight. He did what he had to do to sell the tickets. So this time you look at what happened in the aftermath of this and you're going, is that really, Connor? Is that who we're really seeing? You know, Is that the guy that has been underneath everything else that we've seen on the surface? throughout the years because, I mean, I've been covering Cotner now since, I believe, 20, uh, 2012 when he came out with the UC and was riding around in, um, you know, Dana's Lamborghini and saying he was riding with the Don on the strip. And you know, that was the Connor that I saw. That it was a fun guy that really enjoyed the zest of life that was uh, always really effervescent and everything that he said. And, you know, obviously not everybody can be that person all of the time. Because I know I, I'm usually pretty bubbly, and when I have a bad day, people know it. But it, it, it's it's something that when when you start to think about it, you wonder like which one was the real face that we were seeing all along? Was it was it the one that was this happy guy that was couldn't wait to enjoy the finer things in life that came out of poverty, or is it the guy that you know is sitting on the canvas just you know angry and frustrated? You know which. Which is the guy that's really Connor, you know, and that's, I think, what has uh, taken away from the mystique of a lot of what he's done in the past with, with what happened at the end here with Dustin. So, I mean, I don't think for fans of Dustin that they would want to see it again. I think at this point, everyone's like, Dustin just needs to move on and fight Charles Oliveira for the belt. But I think for a lot of Connor fans, they feel like Connor could have came back, Connor could have done, you know, the deed, and Connor could have got his vengeance against Poirier, and I think that's the only reason you can sell, or that's the only way you can really sell this fight for a fourth time, but I feel like Dana made the right comment as well in the post-fight saying that he should fight Oliver and Ed. Uh, I think that's what should happen with Dustin Poirier, and then after that's settled, whether Justin has the belt or not, but I'd hate to see Connor get another title shot when he's only had one win in the past, what, like, you know, five, six years, so uh, it, it's one of those things that you have to really kind of evaluate depending on what happens with the Poirier and Oliveira fight in the end. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting too, Heidi, because you want, you said you wonder which is the real Connor. I have a feeling that maybe both of them are because when things were going well and he was riding around in the strip in Dana's Lamborghini, he was on top of the world, and there's no reason not to be the happy-go-lucky guy. Now he's been humanized. Right. He's lost some fights. Like, even when he lost to Diaz, he was able to avenge it, and he made some different moves in that, and they went down to his weight class more. Now Poirier's beat him twice. Now he's crying that it was an Anderson Silva-type thing. It was just a freak accident. If you couldn't decipher everything that he was saying, he basically said that about Poirier's wife, you know, she's direct messaging me when he says she's DM and me. She's looking fine. He tells her where the after party's going to be, so basically inviting her over there. And then Poirier comes out and says, I'm not worried about what he says about her. She can take care of herself. You said you were going to kill me in the ring. I got a wife. I got a family. I got people in it. You don't say that to people. That's what he was more mad about. At least that's what he says. I have a feeling he's not too happy about the stuff about his wife either. But I just think right now Connor's kind of unraveling. You mentioned the coaches and that. Maybe instead of uh, working on a proper 12, he should get uh, 12 proper coaches or something like that to help him out in the cage next time if and when he goes back. 
Yeah, um, I don't think he'll ever leave John Kavanaugh and the guys that got him started over at Straight Blast Gym in Ireland. I think those are his guys for life now with um, everything that he does as far as training and preparation. But uh, I think you got to bring in someone at this point. you got to do something to switch it up. I don't see any evolution at all in what you know, the output, it was minimal, the output that we saw from McGregor in this fight. But I just think that if I'm McGregor and I'm healed up because he says we've got six weeks on crutches, he put out a video yesterday, six weeks on the crutches. It was a clean break, so he's lucky there. And then he'll get back to training in a bit. But I think when he does and he's going to face Poirier again, he's really got to get people that can either mimic Poirier around him or he's got to get some really high-level fighters that are willing to come down and train with him, uh, particularly grapplers and particularly wrestlers. Uh, you know, Connor's been a stand-up guy most of his career, and that's what he's known for is the striking. But I think it would help him to get with some people that are really experts in grappling, experts in uh, wrestling, and to work that into his game to get on the same level as Poirier um, in those departments and, and really fine-tune what he's able to do on his feet once his legs are better and are literally underneath him again. So all the rehab is going to take a lot out of him. Um, you know, when you start thinking about any fighter, none of them come into any fight healthy. I don't care what you hear. When you hear maybe after a pandemic and there was time for them to heal and be away from the game because you see a lot of, a lot of fighters opt out. A lot of fighters haven't been able to compete because of travel bans and what have you. So when you think about, you know, all of those different things and how he can get other people around him. Yeah, you know, I think it's got to start with his camp and after rehab, getting in the right people. You got it. All right, Heidi, we appreciate the time today, girl. And uh, great uh, coverage on UFC 264. And we'll uh, get with you real soon. Thank you. I'm so glad to come on today. I appreciate you guys. You got it. Appreciate the recap. Heidi Fang, Las Vegas Review Journal. She's a great follow on Twitter at Heidi Fang. And again, LasVegasReviewJournal.com. Uh, she's covering the Raiders. She's covering the uh, the UFC and a plethora of other things as well, too. Yeah, and I want to throw this in, too. I didn't necessarily mean, like, replace the coaches in that. I just mean expand and bring some new oh. blood and new ideas because cause what he's doing now isn't working. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think it's it's part of that. And then it's also just, you know, part of him, you know, the success, not as hungry as a lot of these other fighters. And I'll correlate it to what we're talking about with Team USA and these other countries. I mean, again, he's, you know, the the, the target. You're going to get your best. Whoever goes against Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier is focused. He's not that little kid that he fought that, that fought uh, Conor McGregor in 2014. And we saw him, you know, back in January. And this is the same Poirier, maybe even a better Poirier, that we saw this fight as well, too. He's just a better fighter, plain and simple, at this point in time of both of their careers. You know, nothing against McGregor. It's just that, again, it's just where he is. He's got a lot of wear and tear on that body. He's got a lot of other business ventures and stuff going on. And, again, he just, you know, it, he's, he's not as good as some of these other guys that he's facing right now. I'm just curious to see what happens in his championship fight because he will fight for the belt next. And it, it, the strange thing is it's not going to have the same hype as this because it's not McGregor. Right. Although, in reality, it's two fighters better than McGregor right now. Yeah, yeah. and I think you will get the pure UFC fans that are going to do And we've seen that before. 
you know, when Khabib has fought uh, other people outside of McGregor after he got after he beat McGregor, you know, the, the, those did tremendous numbers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, looking forward to to more of Dustin Poirier. Although the that fight will not be at Allegiant because media members were asking after that, and Dana was like, mm-hmm. "No, no, is my mic bro- is my mic working here? <laughs> no, because he knows that the name recognition." Connor might be losing, but he's still a bigger draw because he's got that name recognition right, right now. Right, right, absolutely. All right, uh, we turn our attention to NBA Finals. BJ Armstrong is going to join us next. The Milwaukee Bucks showed up big time. What's on tap for game number four? Bucks, Suns, we got ourselves a series. Hi, this is Bill Beer, and you're listening to the T.C. Martin Show. <laughs> NBA Finals, we've got three games in the books, and we're going to have to wait till Wednesday for game number four after a very exciting game number three last night, and that means it's time to bring our guy in, the guard, the shooting guard, the point guard, the guard. How about it? BJ Armstrong joins us. May the funk be with you, my friend. May the funk be with you. May the funk be with you. I appreciate it. Game three is in the books. And uh, it's always a pleasure to be back on the show. All right, BJ. I, I was just happy that I knew that the team in green was the Bucks this time. Y- yeah, but <laughs> we, I was hoping they would wear the white at home, but they did wear the white on the road, so it's like, ugh. Yeah, at least it wasn't blue with watery numbers and letters you. or something. Thank you. But and and the floor looked good. We had the we had the green and the white yeah. on the floor. I was happy. But of course, they're going to get you know for the most time they they get it right there in Milwaukee, and that was a a great atmosphere. I felt really great for those fans. And again, spending time back there, I could really resonate with that building, those fans, and I was I was pumped up and. I don't know. I mean, it was nice in Phoenix in games one and two, but it just seemed really cool last night, especially with the Bucks. They're back against the wall, figuring they were going to show up last night. And not only they showed up, but they delivered. So I don't know, BJ, what did your eyes see last night, man? What did you think of game three? Well, I, I thought it was very well played uh, overall. I think the series has been very well played. I mean, for these teams, a lot of these guys, for many of these guys, this is their first time in the NBA Finals. Some of these players, this is their first time in the playoffs, right? Talking about the Phoenix Suns, and we forget how young this team is. You know, DeAndre Ayton, this is his first playoff experience. You, you know, Devin Booker, um, you know, and these guys, Mikael Bridges, you can go on and on down the list. I think only Jay Crowder is the only one that has actually played in the NBA Finals. And I think overall, the response and the way they've played, it's been a well-played three games. You know, I, I think the thing that stands out most is the, the brilliance and dominance of Giannis. You know, Giannis is, you know, he's just a very, he's a unique talent, first of all. He's, you know, he's dominating. And then just a couple weeks ago, you know, I thought possibly the season had ended and who knew, who knew what the severity of that injury was uh, in the Atlanta Hawks series. And here we are, you know, a couple weeks later, and he's running around and, He's got back-to-back 40-point games and 10 rebounds, and you're going, what is this guy feeling? You know, he's doing all of this. Supposedly, he can't shoot consistently. Supposedly, he has a lot of holes in his games, but you just see his, you just see his evolution, and uh, I'm really intrigued by him. And I thought it was a great game in grain theory for them to bounce back, recover once they go home. You can see what home court does matter in the playoffs which was a little different than we viewed last year in the bubble. So uh, I'm really looking forward to game four. 
You know, talking about Giannis, uh, you know, he looked like he was injured. He asked out of the game about three and a half minutes into it. And they were showing him the sideline, and he really wasn't you know, giving anything away. And then we saw him get up, go to the tunnel for a little bit. And I think there was a little bit of concern because you never see him you know, ask out to, you know, uh, that early in, in a game. But it, you just had the feeling that you know, so much was on him. He was carrying you know, the weight of this team. And so goes Giannis, so goes the, this Bucks team. And especially the way the Suns have played the first two games and really the way the Suns have played throughout these playoffs here. So I think, you know, Giannis, it really impressed me with just, you know, playing through pain, you know, playing through all of the, I guess, uh, media scrutiny, the fan scrutiny about him and and his shooting woes and that sort of thing. And he just checked all the boxes last night, BJ. I mean, the guy was phenomenal at the free throw line as well, too. I mean, he was 13 for 17 at the free throw line, back-to-back 40-plus games, and talk about the guys who he joined on this list in back-to-back 40 games, consecutive games, uh, Michael Jordan, Jerry West, Rick Barry, Shaquille O'Neal, and LeBron James. Uh, that was a very impressive performance by Giannis considering everything he's gone through. Yeah, that is an impressive list. And, uh, you know, this young man, he, he, he is a very unique player. And, you know, when you start comparing, and I was just – thinking of the names on that list, you go, this is the first time we've seen Giannis, a player like that. You know, he's not just a, a scorer. He's not just a jump shooter. He's a low post player or a two guard or what have you. He's a, he's a very unique player, and you can see his impact on the game, not only offensively, that's what we're talking about here currently, but defensively. I mean, he is spectacular a spectacular player. I mean, he's, you know, he's a defensive player of the year as well, and he certainly – if he's not the best, he's the second best defender, you know, because he can block shots, he can defend on the perimeter, he literally can defend all five positions. So I'm just very impressed with the, the, the energy he expends during the course of a game because he, he plays so hard on the offensive end. He, he gives you the same multiple efforts on the defensive end. And, you know, maybe he just, you know, he's always breathing so hard. When you watch the guy play, you know, he's always breathing hard. You know, a lot of times you'll see these magnificent athletes and they make it look easy, you know. They look like they're hardly breathing or they're, you know, they're hardly winded. But, you know, he plays hard. And then uh, he just plays so hard. So I'm not sure what was going on there at the early stages of the game, but whatever it was, he was able to recover. And uh, certainly he was brilliant the rest of the way. You know, BJ, you mentioned how um, home cooking has meant so much because it does seem like both teams feel much more comfortable on their home base. The one thing that I'm curious about in this, because it's 2-1 to one right now, but we haven't necessarily seen a real nail-biter. We haven't seen a close game. From what you've seen of both of these teams, is one set up more in crunch time if it is a two-point game with, you know, 30 seconds to go or something to get that victory and have that experience? Because although we've seen both teams win their games, we haven't seen that game that comes on to is it going to overtime or something like that. Do you see an edge experience-wise or something else if it is a two-point nail-biting game? Well, if, if, if we did get to the last four minutes of the uh, of the game where the game is tied or it's a you know a one point or two point game, I think it's very obvious where the ball is going to go if you're in Milwaukee. It's going to go to Giannis in some fashion, right? If he's not playing in isolation, he's going to be running screen roll with Chris Middleton or Drew Holiday. I think Giannis is the key, and he's shown that he is the first, second, and third option. You know, he's been the only player for them that has 
played fairly well in all three games. And uh, the first two games, the Phoenix Suns, they were able to play at their pace. They they were at home. They played much faster game. And then you saw Milwaukee able to slow the game down a little bit. They made a nice adjustment with putting Chris Middleton on the ball. And he was he made some very good decisions there in game three. And uh, he really kind of uh, controlled the game and put Giannis in different situations. So um, I think if there's going to be a game to be had for Phoenix, I think this is the game. Um, I, you know, I, I said it before the game, you know, last night, I said, you know, beating a team three times in a row in a series, that's very, very tough. Um, and so I thought they were, I thought they could win. I thought Milwaukee would go home and, and, and find a way to win game three, but game four to me is up for grabs. And this is always the game now where, you know, Milwaukee knows they got to win this game to stay in the series, because if you, if you lose now, you're going to be down three, one going back to Phoenix. So Milwaukee has to win this game. I think they understand that responsibility. But now, you know, Phoenix says, okay, we got a little taste. We're on the road. We got our routine down. And if we're going to win a game, I think game four is it. So um, I think Phoenix has more options to go to. Uh, you saw the big fella, DeAndre Aiden, started off the game very well. Um, so you can, you know you can play screen role with him, which is great. And then, of course, you got Devin Booker. I expect him to bounce back. Um, and you got Chris Paul, who's been absolutely sensational on the other side of the ball as well. So um, I think if he gets to a post game, those are going to be the characters that will be involved, and then we'll see who makes shots. But you know, um, you know, right now I think you know Milwaukee is feeling good about Game Four, and and uh, I think Phoenix should be feeling good about you know what we know what we got to do to win this game as well. All right, B.J. Armstrong joins us, the three-time NBA champ, knows something about winning NBA titles, those three championships with the Chicago Bulls. You mentioned DeAndre Ayton. He only played five minutes in the second half. And when Phoenix was in this game in the first half, I mean, it was all about DeAndre Ayton. And, of course, Chris Paul, you mentioned him as well, too. But DeAndre Ayton finished 8-for-11. And I don't know what happened there in the second half. And I know some people say, well, foul trouble. No, I don't understand why he only played five minutes in the second half. Well, he, he got in foul trouble, and uh, I think he had three fouls at the end of at the end of the first half, and then he get, picks up an early foul there in the third quarter, I believe. And uh, so that, that was a game changer for for Phoenix. That was a game changer for uh, for Milwaukee. But the interesting thing about it was Phoenix they go small and they rally. I mean, they rally, and uh, and uh, I was doing the game last night, and I remember uh, that dunk. I think by Cam Johnson, Cameron Johnson, he had that dunk, that and right. one dunk, and that seemed to energize the Phoenix Suns team. Right? They they were kind of playing very lethargic. They didn't really have anything going, and all of a sudden that gave them a little burst of energy, and then they cut it down to like six. Uh, but give Milwaukee credit; they they withstood the charge. They held their composure. They make shots, and they started shooting the ball terrific from, from distance, you know, in particular Drew Holiday. So, um, you know, we'll see how they play it out. I, I think now with the, the injury to uh, Dario Saric, I think that's going to, you know, limit their rotations, uh, what they're going to do. And, uh, but without question, if they are to win the next game or win this series, DeAndre Ayton is going to be – He's got to stay out of foul trouble without question. So we'll see how the, how this plays out. But 
Um, I expect, you know, the coaching staff there for Phoenix to maybe start going zone or 2-3 or whatever to protect DeAndre Ayton because clearly they need him to be on the court just so they can rebound the basketball because without him on the court, you know, Giannis just goes berserk. And uh, he's probably going to go berserk anyway, but at least DeAndre Ayton can provide some resistance. And Devin Booker, 3 for 14. And we've seen Booker uh, do this before and have an off game. But last night he was definitely off, uh, and he had some pretty good looks. You know, we've talked about what Phoenix did so well in those first two games with the pick and roll and taking care of the basketball, and the Bucks really played that very, very badly. What adjustments did you see Milwaukee do to Phoenix, or was it just Giannis, and just and was it just you know Drew Holiday? What they did offensively, or did you see the Bucks tighten up things and make some of those adjustments uh, defensively? Well, uh, you know, it was a couple of things in particular they did uh, very well, and and uh, if you watched the game last night, first thing they put Chris Middleton on the ball and allowed him to be the initiator. Right, they took Drew Holiday off. Well, let's just for his terms, they took him off to being the the point guard, and they allowed him to be a scorer. And then they put the ball handling duties into Chris Middleton. Now, that's interesting because the 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 and the reason that's interesting is because now you have the ball in your you know your second best player's hand, and you can run screen roll with your best player, and that's going to provide some problems. So, because more than more times than not, you're not going to switch off the primary ball handler, to go on to Giannis. And when they did switch, Mikael Bridges, he, he's not a big enough body to handle to Giannis. So that was the first thing. It provided them and gave them some stability on the offensive end and forced and kind of dictated what they were going to do and how the team was going to defend. So let's, let's look out for that, first of all, for that little action there. What is Phoenix going to do to counter that? Because Phoenix was dictating offensively and defensively what they were going to do in the first two games. And then the second thing that happened was they got a little home cook and Bobby Portis was terrific off the bench. They really haven't had any players to come off the bench and provide anything, let alone a spark like Bobby uh, did in the last game. Not only to give him good energy, but he gave him good offensive play. I mean, I think he was in double figures last night. And that's a big thing for them because they haven't had any stability at all or any kind of contribution off the bench. So uh, we'll see what Phoenix is going to do. I think Phoenix is going to have to come out and try to establish what they did a good job. You know, DeAndre Aiden, they got him involved early. He was terrific. But the rest of the guys didn't make shots, in particular Devin Booker. And a a great player like Devin Booker, I don't expect him to have two bad games in a row. So I know he's going to play better. And uh, But we'll have to see what they're going to do on the defensive end because defensively, They've been very good all year, and that's been the staple uh, of their team. That's kind of really been one of the principles of the team. Defensively, they can get stops, and they weren't able to get any type of consistency there in Game 3. I know you've kind of uh, touched on this a little bit with what you've been saying in this, but if you are Phoenix right now, even though you lost that game and you lost it by 20 points, I would think that they have to feel supremely confident going into this game. You mentioned Booker didn't have a very good game. Aiton got himself in foul trouble. Milwaukee had a contribution off the bench that they don't normally have. Giannis was sensational from the free throw line as well. If I'm Phoenix, I'm looking at it going, all those things aren't going to happen again. That was kind of the perfect storm for Milwaukee. If we just stay the course and play our game, there's no reason whatsoever why we can't win a game here. Oh, and by the way, we got an extra day to get healthy and ready and get our minds straight as well. So I would think that Phoenix is going to come out ready to go in this next game. I know Milwaukee's going to as well in front of their home fans, but uh, boy, Phoenix, you can't think that things could go much worse for them in that last game. 
But I, you know, I, I think that's great. I think traditional, the traditional way of thinking, tr- traditional conventional wisdom would say you're absolutely right. However, I would caution this, guys. You know, this Phoenix Suns team, they're a very young team. And you just never know how young people are going to respond under duress, okay? Things are going well for Phoenix. They win the first two games. Everything is great. They're playing like veteran players. I mean, you know, I can't forget that, you know, Devin Booker is only 24. DeAndre Aiden's only 22. And what I'm concerned about more than anything is if, the, if Milwaukee is able to tie this game up, anything can happen in a three-game series. And the reason I say that is because Giannis is without question the best player on the floor. Giannis is the best player, no matter how you slice or the dice. He, you know, you can debate whether who has the better team. Giannis is the best player. And when you have a player like Giannis, anything is possible. He is capable of winning one more game in Phoenix and one more game at home all by himself. I mean, when you start scoring 40 points back-to-back, it's not like Phoenix doesn't know he's playing. <laughs> okay? I mean, I mean, this is like, this is very rare. What we're seeing right now is historical. He is clearly the best player right now in the NBA, if you ask me, without question. And he's coming off of an injury. So he's not even up 100%. And he's getting stronger and stronger. And he's now in this kind of rhythm where you're saying, Great players can be great, and he, he is certainly capable of winning and taking over this series if need be. So I don't know how this Phoenix team is going to respond if they don't win tomorrow night. I think uh, – not tomorrow night, Wednesday night. So I think it's very important for their psyche because they are a young group. This is a young group, right? You, you're, you really only have Bridges – I mean, uh, Jay Crowder – and Chris Paul as the veterans. Everyone else, this this is their first time in the playoffs. No, I, so, I totally agree with you, man. I totally agree with what you're saying. Yeah, and, so and what I we've seen with Milwaukee, yeah. we've seen that before. I mean, they're a fantastic home team. And, again, that's why it was pretty predictable what was going you know, to happen in game number three. And I wouldn't surprise me, you know, again. And real quick, BJ, I mean, you talk about the young players. I wanted to ask you this. I mean, playing in an environment like that for a young player, that's got to feel uh, nerve-rattling or distraction to some degree, don't you think? Oh, yeah, without question. You can see how th- these guys were shooting the lights out in the bubble, right? They were shooting lights out. And I kept saying, wow, are these guys that good shooters today as compared to yesteryear? Well, yes and no. When you put them in these home arenas, I mean, you got 20,000 in the building. And by the way, guys, the Deer District had 25,000 people outside of the building. So this is the type of environment that you got to perform, and that's a whole different, you know, that's a whole different set of circumstances. So, uh, you know, home court does matter. It's going to be a great game. I think this game is made for Phoenix. I think if they're going to win it, it's important for them to win this game because if they don't, I think it's anybody's series. You talk about a three-game series, and all of a sudden now, you know, you don't want to play against those type of players like Giannis. There's really no answer for him. So, um, you know, we'll see. But I'm excited about game four. All right, real quick, BJ, we got to get rolling here, and I want to get more thoughts from you on this maybe later in the week. Team USA here in Las Vegas loses to Nigeria. Oh, man, yeah. how much time we got? I know. How much time do I, we got? That's <laughs> why we're going to have to table this for another time. Oh, I, I wanted a quick take from you on, on what you saw with that. <laughs> well, I, I can tell you this. You know, the rest of the, you know, everyone says, you know, oh, USA isn't bad. No, that's not the case. 
the rest of the world has caught up. These guys are good. These guys are for real. There's no more intimidation. And we're to get used to it because it's not going to be a cakewalk. I know we remember what happened in 92, but the rest of the world, in particular in basketball, these are some great players. Just say this real quick, guys. The MVP of the NBA this year was Jokic, foreign-born player. Mm-hmm. Defensive player of the year this year was Rudy Gobert, foreign-born player. You, then you got Joel Enby. Uh, you got Luka Doncic. Guys, this is where we're at. We're talking about a global game. We're here we are, and now uh, we're going to have to be ready. It's, it's not going to be as easy as it has been in the past. Not even, Exactly. And for that reason that you said with the global game, the superstars that we have, but all of those guys you just mentioned are playing for their respective countries, and this is the worst USA roster that we have seen. Sure, we got Kevin Durant, but we don't have Steph Curry. Do not have Kawhi Leonard. Uh, do not have James Harden. Do not have LeBron James. Yeah, it'd be a different story. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if USA does not win the gold medal. But to be continued with that. And we just spent a whole segment talking about Giannis. Yeah, exactly. There's another guy. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Thank you. I mean, Greece looking pretty good. <laughs> yeah, things yeah. are looking. Things are looking good. And real quick, guys, and we have to here in the states. The, the international game is a totally different game than the NBA game. So, yes, we may have more accomplished players that are play, accomplishing in the NBA, but the international game, that FIBA game, is a different game. It really doesn't matter, and that's what those guys know. That yes. 40 minutes is totally different than the 48 minutes you were traditionally or conditioned to watch here in the States. All right, and yeah, with the three-point line being a little bit closer, it makes it easy, you know, for the uh, for the lesser players as and well, too. And the wide too. lane. Yeah, all that. Yeah, again, it does, doesn't make the rule, it doesn't make it more difficult, it makes it easier. So there you go. All right, brother, uh, to be continued, uh, we got a little Funkadelic on the way out of here, BJ Armstrong. Oh, man, please give it to me. Give me the funk. Give me the funk. <laughs> there he is. He's BJ Armstrong. Oh. Funking it up here on the T.C. Martin Show. We're going to have you back this week. We're not going to wait a week my man because we got to talk about this USA Australia here in Vegas tonight game three Wednesday night with the Buck Suns take care my man all right take care all right uh, Paul Buck Power Smith we'll see how much he knows about the funk Smith Stewart whatever his name is are, are, are you saying if you don't like what you hear here get the funk out there you go get the funk out Conor McGregor get the funk out what you're